0: Those who say to me, stick to civil rights, I have another
1: answer.
0: Others can do what they want to do. That's their business. Other civil rights leaders, for various reasons, refuse or can't take a stand or have to go along with the administration, that's their business. But I'm afraid that I know that justice... Is indivisible injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.
2: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. I'll tell you what. Many times when something is going right, they call it an encore. Tonight, Commander Couch is back in the house of AJC Radio, and tonight we deal with another topic, transparency. What's going on in law enforcement? What we've seen thus far is absolutely insane. We're going to deal with that topic tonight, folks. Feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. The Encore, Commander Couch, stands
3: off right now.
2: And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clapson Riddle, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, William Williams, Clint Stewart, Dennis Merritt, excuse me, and Cliff Stewart. And as I said, our very, very special guest in house, Commander Couch, uh, joining with us. Commander, thank you for being here. We talked a little bit after the show last week. Uh, you had a passion to say, wait a minute, we're not done yet. And uh, <laughs> that time went fairly quick. Tell our listeners why you felt it's so important uh, to return this week and, and to get in, into this discussion.
4: Well, you know, two hours is just not enough time to deal with something so complex and nationwide. And I just didn't feel like we had enough time to give it its adequate attention, and, and that's what I'm about. I, I want to talk about this. This is going to be—it's uh, it's a little difficult, but uh, it's something that needs to happen. And if you're a leader, and you're a leader in law enforcement, you need to be able to have difficult conversations. So
2: let's let's do it. All right, and well, we appreciate that, Commander. And uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to be showing the not only transparency, but the lack thereof, uh, and things that have been caught. Uh, On camera, had those issues, and that's the question we asked tonight had those issues not been caught on camera? uh, You're looking at a situation where perhaps no one even knows of a death of an individual because of that. Samson, as you uh, have observed, uh, the commander couch last week, this week we're back again. But again, this this is so vast, and I I guarantee you right now, uh, we're not going to finish the discussion in two hours. Uh, this discussion is an ongoing one, and that's something that we have to definitely take a look at. Your thoughts, Samson, on this?
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've seen how, like, the the advent of social media and everything like that has exposed so many different uh, crimes and uh, incidents of, you know, excessive force used by police officers, things that, you know, 20 years ago were swept under the rug, and the fact of the matter is, like, now – now there is a camera everywhere. It's in everybody's hand. It's instantly uploaded, streaming to the web, streaming to every bit of social media. So the fact of the matter is the necessity for transparency, willing transparency from police departments, from law enforcement across the nation is becoming, you know, it, it's becoming not only a necessity, but it's becoming basically a mandate because the fact of matter is you can't expect to regain the public's trust. And with that trust, you know, the, uh, the enforcement that you need without violence uh from the public that you were sworn to protect and i think as they become more transparent as they gain more of uh the trust of the populace you'll see hopefully incidents like you know michael brown like george floyd uh become a thing of the past you know again I, it might be a pipe dream for my generation but the fact is it has to start somewhere like conversations like this with commander couch
2: without question and andrew brown as you know is the topic lately uh in the news uh where there has been a fight to release body cam video we're going to get into that on the other side of the break uh, we're going to deal with all of these issues they've now released 20 minutes of body camera the attorneys for the for Andrew Brown's family states that it shows clearly that the killing and the shooting uh, of Andrew Brown was not justified we're going to get into that discussion uh we got a lot to talk about folks again 646-200-0628 646-200-0628 and before we uh, go to the break. David, we, we talked earlier in regards to right here in our own backyard, CSPD, Detective Brian Corrado. If he's, if you ever had a poster child of a lack of transparency, uh, he fits the bill. Your thoughts on that as we will also get into that.
6: Well, yeah, I think uh, it's part of the same ethos you see sometimes. Uh, I know they talk a lot about uh, President Trump being a narcissist. Um, you see that, I think, What we see sometimes is people trying to protect their image at almost any cost um and it's really counterproductive and it's somewhat ruinous to law enforcement and we think that sometimes uh they can be viewed and perceive it look we don't want to be transparent we don't want to release video because it's similar to politicians. Look, we have to control our messaging. We have to do that. We don't want to make ourselves look bad unnecessarily. Now, we'll get a chance to talk some more about that. It's definitely the case with uh, what's going on with uh, Detective Corrado. But it's just like, can you say you made a mistake? It's almost like we can't get many people, it's not only law enforcement, politics, Oh, we're trying to circle the wagons. We cannot look bad publicly. Period. So we have period. So we have yeah. to circle the wagons and try to. We know that something bad happened, but we have to uh, go through this process and make a, make ourselves look the best way we can. And that's when they start the the political game. We got to control the messaging, and that uh, usually uh, is 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 uh, an anathema to transparency. Well, and to Commander Couch's point, I understand now why.
2: Transparency means, research looked it up, uh, re- really simple, openness and honesty. That's missing from the system. Uh, openness, honesty? If that was the case, they would have simply came out with a statement in the shooting of Andrew Brown, we, sh- we just murdered an African-American on our streets. That's transparency. Transparency is, is that the chief of police for uh, the death of George Floyd, but they came out very vehemently against. Uh, the killing of George Floyd. But when you start looking at different opinions and people talking about it, it was so bizarre to me, David, to your point that, uh, period, nobody wants to look bad. Like, I didn't make a mistake. So if I take a stand that George Floyd was not murdered, you'll have people on social media with this statement. Uh, There was just no evidence to support that George Floyd was killed. And you honestly begin to think, have you lost your mind? But again, it goes to the culture of this discussion tonight. The culture of transparency being clear in law enforcement, politicians everywhere, uh, in every facet of life, we don't want to admit anything. So rather than admit it, we pay the price and go against it. But what is, is that price worth it? And is the cost too high? Without question, it is. We're going to deal with all of this tonight. Again, Commander Couch is in the house. AJC Radio kicks off the night. Transparency and the lack thereof on this week of AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
7: Every year, almost 40 children die of heat stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70-degree weather. It takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven. At 104
3: degrees, heat stroke begins, followed by loss of consciousness. It an hour and a half or so. <laughs>
7: your child. Live without them forever. Look Before You Lock. Brought to you by Kids in Cars.
8: I wish I was in school.
1: If
8: only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip reading. I wish I was in school. I wish I was in school. I really wish I was in school.
9: School ends,
7: but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org dot slash summer meals for help. Together we're feeding America. Hi
8: <laughs> commander, hi commander. All right, pal.
0: Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey dad.
8: Hey Dad. We have a gun.
10: What's that?
8: We have a gun.
10: Why do you ask that, kiddo?
8: Can I play with it?
10: No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that.
8: Do I? I bet it looks like one.
10: Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV.
8: But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV.
10: Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do
8: you keep it? (laughs)
10: <laughs> it's hidden
8: I bet it's on the top shelf for the closet Under your sweatshirt Is it loaded?
10: It's not I, I keep the bullets
8: in the boots with the red pieces And the chest beside the bed I haven't found them yet But I'm sure I can You always tell me to be curious Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know
10: No, no, that's not what I meant Look, I, I need to be ready If someone breaks in
8: so what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I could use a gun to protect her.
10: No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough.
8: What if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun.
1: Our gun? No, buddy. My gun.
8: But it is our gun. And our home. Happens all the time.
1: I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you.
8: But, Dad, you're not always here.
1: Temperatures, <laughs> we should reach our global
3: five, loading to the winds by this afternoon. Clear skies tonight, with a low year seven. Increasing cloudiness, both
2: sticky and cooler.
11: can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it's it. you so gross. Me. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt power to be more we can create a kinder world it's not that hard we just need to stop take a moment and
7: consider others
10: before we speak
11: and before we ask be more be more be more, be more.
10: Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many, wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to InnocenceProject.org to find out how you can help.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we continue uh, this discussion uh, with Commander Couch, Keller County Sheriff's Department, Uh, and we're just honored again to have uh, the commander here with us. Uh, As we said at the top of the show, uh, you simply don't have enough time uh, to get through the troubling, complex issues that we were having to work through. Uh, And Commander, to your point that this is a discussion that may not be uh, what you call pleasant, uh, difficult at best, but it's it's a, it's a conversation we have to have. Elaborate a little bit on that for I listen.
4: Yeah, um, the the process has to go forward. So if, if folks understand the process of being transparent and some in some cases educational, um, that that is the I, I believe that's the key to going going forward. And the, and the first decisions that have to be made by law enforcement executives is that it's okay to share some information. Of course, in not every instance we're going to be able to talk about a, uh, a homicide that's a homicide case that's in progress because there's certain things that we don't want if it's an unsolved we don't want to tip the suspect off to us knowing that so that when you know that that person's brought in later then they're not they don't have access to all the facts that we have. But in most circumstances a public information officer or a chief or a sheriff should get out in front of his constituents and say something. You cannot just close the door and say no comment. Those days are over. I don't know if a lot of people have figured that out yet, but they've been over for a long time.
2: No, for sure. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, the Andrew Brown situation. The gentleman that was shot uh, in the back of the head uh, takes off the table uh, that I feared for my life because no one is coming towards you. You shoot a man defenseless uh, in the back of the head. Uh, I'm going to share this story. This just released on May 11th uh, by Tim Pullman and Joel Brown wrote this article. Uh, It comes from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Andrew Brown Jr.'s family attorneys on Tuesday said that nearly 20 minutes of body camera video they watched reaffirmed what they had already believed based on what the previous snippet they watched showed, that his killing was not justified. The family arrived at the county sheriff's office around 3 p.m. on Tuesday to watch the video. There is more than two hours of body camera video of the incident. But a judge ruled the family would only be allowed to watch 18 minutes of it. The judge said the rest of the video does not contain images of the deceased and thus are not appropriate uh, for disclosure at this time. The family attorney said after viewing the video... They were permitted to see what they believe. It shows pretty much the full story of what happened. Uh, District Attorney Andrew Wampo previously said Brown made contact with law enforcement officers with his car. They shot him. Well, number one, what I do know, we're going to talk about this. Uh, you're not allowed to shoot at a moving car going away. That's 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 the case in most states. Uh, we went into this situation before uh, where they stated that they shot at a car it's killing someone who was driving away from officers. Uh, there would be no need for force there if I'm driving away. Uh, but they, they use this uh, weak explanation uh, to say, well, this is what happened. Well, that's not what happened here in this case uh, with the Andrew Brown case. They showed it. This is what's concerning, Commander. I want your thoughts on it. If you have two hours of video. And you're saying it's not going to add or take away. Then why not just release all of it? What's the problem with just releasing it?
4: Yeah, yeah. two two things about that. The first is sometimes law enforcement overreacts in trying to protect the public or the family from seeing material that may be too graphic for some of them. But my thought on it is why don't you let them decide what they're going to do? Be able to see. Just generally, explain. Give a disclaimer before it's it's shown. The family should be able to see uh, every frame of video when they've lost a loved one, if they choose to do so after an appropriate warning.
2: Well, here's the problem, Commander. To, to the to the temperature of the country, right? The fact that we feel that officers are not being transparent, agencies, law enforcement agencies are not being honest and open. So, if you have a statement that comes from a judge and says, "Look," And they had to fight to get the 18 minutes, the 20 minutes, because they weren't releasing that initially. Uh, the problem, and this is, I believe it's about people working together to bring a trust back from the community with law enforcement. So if a judge says this, and then you wouldn't even release the 20 minutes until an outcry happened, it says to the public, what are you hiding? What are you doing? Therefore, you create more of a level of mistrust than you've ever seen here. So rather than just say, well, that's just, say, for instance, you got the judge says, well, it's not much to it, not a lot going on here. The problem is the temperature of the country is completely hot. They're not going to, re- like you said, no comment or this or that. They're not going to accept that answer.
6: Well, and another thing, uh, I guess that bothers me, says, well, it doesn't show images of the deceased. Well- does it show a cop saying we're going to get that black animal or something? Nobody knows know. so and so people have questions about these types of issues, given what we've seen now. Many times they'll say, well, we'll show more video they'll have to if 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 there's a court case, all that video is going to come oh, typically come in to say, we want to see what the officers were saying." Did they say anything during, uh, prior to the shooting that that could be problematic? I just think it could be, and we don't understand. Like I said, you don't understand if if it's completely innocent conduct, release it. So why are you so worried about releasing it? And that's what people are going to think, given again
2: all of the stuff we've seen, uh, Commander, over the last few years uh, of, of killings, of deaths of African Americans, of this and that. This is what we run into. Your thoughts.
4: Yeah, and, and exactly. The second point I was going to make about that is uh, sometimes the retention of a video is used to sway public opinion from an agency, from an agency's perspective. Um, it just seems like we learn very hard, slow lessons in law enforcement, and that needs to come to an end. We need to be more progressive in the area of being transparent. Uh, you know, my ethos as a, as a PIO and I teach other PIOs is that if you don't get the information out when you can, then people are going to fill in the blanks for you, and it's not going to be a, in support of law enforcement. So that's why it's so important to do that.
2: Well, absolutely right. And that was, I think that was the point I was, I was making and, and David's point. Uh, people are just really not trusting right now. It is our duty, as you say, for law enforcement as a community. Man, we got to bring trust back. We don't bring that back. Uh, Officers stand in harm's way on a daily basis, and they stand at risk of retaliation Uh, because, you know what? We had George Floyd die. Nobody's saying, finally, we got a verdict of guilty on this guy. Sentencing remains to be seen what he is sentenced to. Um, But then you have these other things happen. Andrew Brown, now looking at another situation, it 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 starts to become tiresome. When does this end? When does it stop? And when do leaders, as, as commander Couch you stated, when do they stand up and say, look, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to say we will not follow the status quo after every killing that happens in this country. We are going to at least be sensitive to the communities and those people and those families who are dying inside, knowing that their loved one died that way.
4: Yeah, I, I think uh, there's there's several issues at play here. I think that
1: uh,
4: police have historically been vilified by the media for right or wrong reasons. I I'm not I'm not here to judge that, but that's that's what I believe the majority of law enforcement has seen, and I just would like a lot of leaders, law enforcement leaders out there, and and politicians and community groups to understand that. Uh, you have to break with the old and go with the new, and the new is giving the information out as soon as you can. Um, and here's a theory that I have, and I don't know, but uh, a long time ago, maybe five, ten years ago, when body cams came out, um, they would uh, they would put these uh, you know ch- chopped up versions of the body cam out on, on the media, and um, I-, I will say that in the majority of cases, not all. But in the majority of cases, body camera footage can, even though you would question, well, it's, it's misleading to say that body cam footage can be misleading, and it just doesn't make sense. But you cannot, you cannot see or or uh, feel everything that the officer felt from just a body cam. In I would say most situations, George Floyd, completely obvious what was going on there. Total tragedy shouldn't have never happened, no matter the reason. And uh, it, we just have to we just have to click that in in law enforcement in general that that's just we have to go ahead and um, I, I say trust the public, but they're supposed to be trusting us right now and they don't. So by if we just trust them to just make make the decisions after they see this video and this with the one caveat that not every single thing that you see on a body camera is the whole story if you will because we will never know the whole story in three days when i believe body cameras should be released because it takes a, it takes a little bit of time to redact some things from innocent people in the video and it's a technical thing but that's that's well
2: you know and i agree with that no matter and i think the issue with the public is, is that release something tell us something and again it may not tell the whole story initially but it. It does give the impression and the perception to the community that, look, they're trying here. Officers right. are trying here, right? At least right. that's a step in the right direction, but, I but would think, right? It
4: is. And right now there's something happening with the Canyon City Police Department, and I, I know a little bit of about the, the facts of that case, and it did involve the death of a person at the hands of an officer. Well – um They're not saying anything. They're not releasing anything to the media, and what do they have this week? They have people protesting Mm -hmm. because you're serving these people. They need something, and I understand that it's ongoing investigation, and I'm not saying you name names and you uh, make uh, allegations on, well, we believe this was criminal. I'm not saying that. That's for a district attorney to decide, but the people should have information. Why are we holding that?
2: There you go. Dave Zappolo.
7: And a really good example of this is some years back during the Baltimore riots, there was a shooting in Boston of a black man by police officers. Now, Boston was getting ready to blow up because of this, because it appeared that it was a wrongful shooting. Well, what the police did is they got the body cam footage. They showed it to the family and community leaders. Within a few days, the community leaders told everybody to stand down. This was a righteous shooting and you'll see the footage within a week or so. They released the footage. There were no protests, no riots in Boston. Everybody stood down because they turned around and were transparent about what was going on. And what the public is seeing is when it looks good for the police, the body cam footage seems to come out quicker than when it doesn't look good for the police. And that's what starts causing the mistrust of the police. Oh, you're saying you're not releasing it right away? There must be something wrong. Oh, for sure. That's a human, that's a,
4: that's a, you're exactly right. And that's a nature of the human being to make those assumptions because there's no information, you know, and, and we're in this situation where uh, police departments don't want to do, they don't want to put the information out for fear of uh, the consequences, but it still happens. I mean, you're not going to cover that forever. I mean, that, and if it's ever happened, that's totally tragic and I totally disagree with that. I like that. I mean, that's a great model for other people to follow.
7: I thought it was fantastic because you started hearing the rumblings of really big protests and some riots going on because this was right in the middle of the Baltimore riots. And so they just felt like here's the police going after people. And when the commu- they showed it to the community leaders because they couldn't edit it yet. And the community leaders came out and said, look, stand down. We saw it. It looks good. And when you have something like that occurring, people feel better. It's like, okay, you're telling us what's going on. I mean that's that's really all everybody was asking for. Even with the, with this particular instance, that's what people are saying. Just show us something, and they said no.
2: No, and no, no, I think one good point as well is to your point, Commander, when you said they don't want to release it for fear of consequences. But now you're in a time now. Oh, wow. If you don't release it, the consequences many times are worse. They are worse because of that. So the logic and the logic and the, and the thinking of that just does not. It doesn't Right?
4: That is the, the click that I need to hear in, in national law enforcement is, okay, now, okay, this didn't work, so now we're going to try something different that does work like it did – did you say Boston? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Boston. Yeah, it worked in Boston. Okay, that's probably the right way to go. And uh, that, that's what i really like to see. And that's what I'm pushing for with my, with my nonprofit I mentioned last Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. We're going to definitely uh, talk a little bit about that as well. But-
12: yeah, Commander, I mean, to that point and to the point that uh, the David Polo makes, at the end of the day, you're going to have a reaction by the public either way. So why not, you know, as they say, uh, you know, nip it in the bud? The, the, the public is going to have a reaction. And today's point, if you say, look, we're going to give, we're going to show to the family so that they're at ease, they know exactly what's going on the community leaders, even if it's negative towards police. And you say, look, we know there may be some issues here. We haven't redacted everything, but the family's got a chance to look at it. The community leaders, we have some things we have to work on as law enforcement, but give us a chance. We're being transparent. There's going to be more video. Because at the end of the day, you're still going to have a reaction by the community. If it's going to be negative, at least if you are transparent, the community could say, well, hey, they're trying to be honest. At least now we don't feel like, oh, they're here. They go. They're hiding something again because the police are the ones in the wrong, even when the police are wrong. And and I don't think that any adult would uh, would be you know, adverse to saying, hey, people make mistakes, or even if something was done wrong, if you know that leadership and law enforcement is being transparent, and if it's something that was purposely done wrong, that they're going to come after the wrongdoers, it would subside so much of the uh, of what starts off as a protest, ends up in violence, ends up in another uh, police altercation with the community. You could stave those things off if the transparency was there, if the honesty was there. And even though it looks very bad for the police, at least the leadership said, here we are, we're, we're naked to our community because we are, we are a part of you and we want to do what's right. It would really, really bring the temperature down on what's going on in, uh, in America against law enforcement today.
4: Cliff, you're exactly 100% right. I wrote down what you said, because that's going to be one of my talking points going forward. Uh, leadership in the country in law enforcement needs to—they uh, need to understand that it's actually a good thing to release the video because then you could show where okay, this is uh, you know after the after the person has their their due process, it, whether that be a police officer or anybody. Right. After the due process, you can show people okay. That is not acceptable to the law enforcement community anymore, especially in my agency. And these are the actions that I'm going to take to hold that person accountable. Instant, uh, instant uh, respect from the community right
12: there. I would Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, no matter where you came from, I came from, I grew up in LA. I saw a lot of crime. I saw a lot of police corruption. I saw a lot of violence from the police on the community. But when we knew there was a cop that says, Hey, and Granted, I mean, this cop might have to, you might have to go to blows with him. If he was in the right, you're saying, hey, I can respect you. We had one cop, we called him, we called him Flat Top. He was very hard nosed, very, you know, you could you could call him a violent cop. But where he was, what he had to deal with, we respected him because when he came around, even though you know, hey, if Flat Top comes, he's probably cracking heads. But he respected the people in the community. He would talk to you. Before he would take action against you, he would give you a chance to talk to you. His, his thing was, if you were in the project and you were getting evicted, Blacktop shows up, you're walking out. Why? Because everybody in the community knew he was a fair cop. He might drag you out by your ankles because he's got a court order that says you're no longer allowed to be here. But everybody gave him a pass because he came in. He calmly, respectfully said, hey, you got to leave. You're, you cannot be here anymore. And you got to understand for a cop to come into projects in L.A. County is like going into uh, – it's like an American soldier in fatigues going into the Taliban's camp. You're, for For all intents and purposes, you don't belong there. But if you show respect to the people who live there – You basically get a quote-unquote a pass to come in, do what you got to do. You did it by the book. You didn't come in to say, hey, I'm coming to terrorize your community. I'm coming to terrorize your neighborhood. I'm here to do my job, and if you let me, I can walk away and everything can be peaceful. And those are the type of actions that law enforcement need to take with the community that, hey, I respect you. You respect me. You get out of line, me as law enforcement, I will enforce the law. But as long as you're respectful, me as a police officer, I am here to serve and protect the community that I serve.
4: And we need more people like him, like yeah. Blacktop, in the world
12: today. And and what I see is a lot of older
4: officers who have the wisdom to know that and to practice that is is dwindling because of the the legislation coming from the outside in to law enforcement. And that's my whole point in my nonprofit. We got to clean ourselves from the inside out. Sure,
6: David. Yeah, I was thinking uh, the video, releasing a video can benefit officers. It can cut both ways. I thought about the Officer Reardon shooting in the Micaiah Bryant case where the girl was, Micaiah Bryant was in the process of stabbing another girl. Well, you haven't seen huge outrage over her death because I came to the defense of Officer Reardon because the girl, he had to use force. So if they, if, if if uh, police can release videos of those type of things where they're justified, it goes a long way to building their reputation. say, look, we're not all just out here doing uh, Derek Chauvin type stuff. We're actually out here. Uh, he protected another young black girl from getting seriously injured or killed, and he had to use deadly force to do it. And, and, so, and just a quick one on that. And Dave, just a
4: point too that You can trust the community if you show them the truth. There's no riots or protests because
6: people are not that stupid to realize, you know what, I looked at the tape, I saw the whole tape, it was justified. Well, let me explain this to you. This came up, uh, someone mentioned this to me.
2: I have to address it because I was supposed to address it. uh, When it came up again regarding the killing or the shooting of Makai Bryant, and that is this, we talked a week ago before how armed killers – who go into locations and are able to come out with weapons drawn towards community and police that are shot in the leg, that are not killed, that a clip is not emptied out on. Uh, In the case with with, with Micaiah Bryant, and it's just something to look at. You have to look at it. No question that the officer acted, according to video, to save a life, did I have to take her life at all costs? Was that the only option on the table? That's a question that you have to ask if others walk out of situations a lot more deadly with a lot more firepower and a lot more damage that could be done that walk out alive. That is a question you have to ask. It doesn't take away that the video was released immediately. It appears that this officer was trying to save a life. What other options possible are on the table when other shooters and definitely a threat of life is on the table when they walk out alive? You have to ask the question. Why is that? And why is there a discrepancy in that? That's the problem, and that's why you will have people, regardless of what's justified, the question comes again to the lack of transparency in these other cases. Did someone come to the podium and tell me how a man walks out with armored uh, garb on, with automatic weapons in his hands, after killing multiple people, and won't put his gun down? How does he walk out alive? But Micaiah Bryant with a knife, not a gun, doesn't change the fact of again what we see. How did she die? Well, and were there any other options on the table that should have, should have been considered if it's considered in, in the killing of other people versus the injuring of another person? Yeah. That's a question you have to ask. And
6: some of the, those are legitimate questions, but then you're dealing with uh, the time element involved in the Micaiah Bryant shooting. Understood. So if something is split second, it becomes very difficult to to second guess an officer. It's like, well, what do I do in this particular situation? This is a split second. He, he shows up. The girl attacks one girl. He just gets out of the car. She's attacking one girl. The other girl falls to the ground. He says, stop, stop. He makes some uh, uh, commands. And then he runs. Over, she runs over and starts uh, with the other girl against the car and starts uh with the knife in a in a in a deadly striking position sure. what do you do and how quickly do you do it? Now you can say well maybe officers should be trained with if he misses in a small area like the leg well, uh then she might still be able to get the knife strike off and then he's gonna be criticized that he didn't use no, it enough. No, listen,
2: for listen, the the here's look. These are questions because of the lack of transparency that no officer has stepped to the table to say, we shot this particular assailant in the leg because of this. And that's the point I'm making, David. Your point is well noted. Uh, these are decisions that are made. I think uh, Commander Couch did last week. Uh, he was in a position where you have to wait to the last, is the millisecond, Commander?
9: Uh, <laughs> and you yeah. said
2: one of the persons you, you were actually in some type of confrontation with he had to shoot first. Is, is that is that right? Yeah,
4: he he did because I, I could not clearly in a dark residential street confirm that that was a weapon. Okay. And it turned out to be the magazine to a weapon. He could not have hurt me with that at all, so, so it turned no out weapon. great. He was sure. tased. And that's what – just yes. real quick, I want to talk about sure. less than lethal force, and that's some things like tasers, beanbag shotguns, things like that. I believe that every officer should have those less-than-lethal tools, maybe a couple of different ones, at their disposal at all times. However, it's going to take funding to make that happen. Some uh, most agencies have a taser. We we carry tasers, and that's that's to prevent that situation right there.
2: Sure. And you know, one real good point then, David, to the David's point noted in that split split second. Uh, what is it, and this is just something you think about, what if you shoot in the arm that has the knife? The bullet's traveling at a, at a very, very fast speed. She's shot in that arm, I would presume, and I'm not in, in law enforcement, so but with using some common sense here, if I'm shooting her in that arm here, people get shot in the arm all the time by officers. Does it cripple the assailant from going forward? And even if she did, she is going to be highly limited on the force that that knife makes contact, is that right? Probably. Well, you
12: gotta okay. you gotta take into account what that bullet does when it hits.
11: Her. Right? you.
12: If that bullet hits yeah, a bone, that. it could ricochet, hit the, hit the girl that you're trying to protect, and so yeah. or it could go through fleshy the fleshy part like a, a muscle, hit the car, ricochet, go through uh, somebody else's window. Um, but I mean, cops are are taught when meet meet deadly force with deadly force. And like like the commander said, I mean, it's a split second decision. What do you do when you watch a person's life in danger
2: but by that, another citizen? But here's the point, Cliff. The point here's the point. If that was across the board protocol, we don't have this discussion. Well, I the guess- reason the discussion is being had because there are people in far worse situations trying to kill and have murdered murdered a group and lots of people that nobody walked out dead
6: yeah because nobody. that's important no one asked those officers okay so how come you didn't kill dylan roof but this other officer he feels the need you know what oh if it's it's a black person
4: center mass so the thing is the way you're saying is your conversation is why not even
12: explore the possibility of something new that's the
2: point Right, right we have a caller
3: Yes,
12: we have uh, the perfect person for this discussion. We have Pastor Banks on the line. Oh. So we'll get a take from uh, a pastor's perspective. Pastor Banks, thank you so much for calling in. You are live.
13: Yes. Uh, to the to the commander here, I'm so glad that you're on this show. Uh, but I was thinking, as everybody was talking this evening, do you know what's happened? I think there's been so many bad situation. To until the, until the good cops, sometimes lives are destroyed because uh, because they heard about somebody else or maybe they've seen this or seen that. But I was thinking, if I automatically believe that if I see a police officer, that he's going he's out to kill me, I'm never going to be able to resolve the problem and get anywhere with it because I automatically believe that you're a threat to me. And maybe that police officer is not a threat. Maybe, he, and and I, I think it's really sad when I heard about the two cops, I think they were in L.A., or, I'm not sure. They were having lunch or whatever in their car, and they just walked, walked up and, sh- and shot him in the back of the head. And I'm thinking, but how would you like that to happen to you? Somebody kills you. You haven't committed a crime. You haven't killed anybody. And just because somebody out here is doing it, is that not unfair to the police officers that's sitting there, they're out there doing a difficult job and I, I I'm with everybody else. If we didn't have police officers today, where would we be? This would be a terrible, terrible place to live. And so when I look at that and you and you automatically kill a police officer without any consideration for this police uh his life, his his wife his children, and they didn't do nothing to you. Nobody wants to be treated bad. Well, I didn't do anything for that. So when I'm looking, I'm thinking, um, unless we, as people, all come together, and we got to believe that every police officer we see is not bad, and I've heard you say that on the show. But can you imagine, you on the show tonight, and because a police officer had shot somebody, or you knew of that, and suddenly they just come in and start shooting up everybody else. It's like, so what did we do? So, does it matter that 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 I'm not a person that did something wrong? It's the same way when people get to have to be sent to prison and they didn't do and they didn't commit a crime. It's like this horrible, horrible feeling. Why did this mother and this wife or husband or uh, whatever why, this family member has? has had his life cut off, cut short, because you're mad with some other police officer. So we need to be fair across the board. And that is, if I don't, and even even if somebody in your family was shot by a police officer, there should still be something that everybody needs to contribute to make this thing come out right. And so I can't have this anger inside against police officers. I got it against all of them. What did all of them do to us? But if I'm going to take that position, we're never going to resolve the issue because I'm mad with every police officer. Totally unfair. So if I can say, okay, we got a problem, it's it's obvious that we have a problem. But at least let's sit down and try to resolve it. That's what we we hope to have been able to accomplish at the church when we say Colorado Springs uh speak what was it Colorado springs um speak out i mean let's talk okay we wanted to do it, and we had that added to our program when eric garner was the one that was killed in new york and and i thought my god i i, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to the parents on the other end of the family whoever but then i looked at this at the thing and we put ourselves I said to the church, let's do something to the police officers and the sheriff's department in the, in our community. Perhaps maybe we'll send a message to those that might come across this or hear about this, that we want you to know we're not angry with you. And the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church came together as a group, and we fed 350 police officers, 350 sheriff deputies, and because we said, we just want you to know that we care, that we're not angry with you. We don't like what happened out there, but those two officers don't, it's not by a long shot, do they actually show what our whole law enforcement uh, is about? Because it's not true. And I'll never forget the, uh, the chief of police at that time, he called me on the phone. And said, he, said, he said, Pastor Rose, I just need to talk to you for a minute. He said, I cannot tell you what this has done for the police officers here and how the morale has been lifted just from that, just from that kindness. So look at the type of thing that would happen if we all went out and said, okay, I just want to do something nice for you. I'm not putting you in the boat with everybody else. And so if we're not willing to to be spent, we're not willing to put ourselves on the line and say, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of black people that didn't like it that we did it. But we're not concerned about that. We're concerned what can we do to help resolve this issue because it's getting worse and it's getting out of control. But it's gonna to have to be. It's got to be people coming from both sides of uh, the people who, who maybe have lost a family member, whatever. We've got to take a moment to say if we can talk it out. Perhaps we can start making it better. Why well, can't Colorado Springs become the city that when people see what happened here with the uh, with the commander? And coming together, he wants to resolve it. We're willing to work with him to get it done. Maybe, perhaps, this particular move would cause other people in other places to say, well, look what happened there. And they're not having all the crime and what have you anymore. Uh, The policemen and the community, they're, they're friends. Because nobody wants to just kill you to kill you. The bottom line is, let's try to work it out. But if I stay angry on our side, and we're just mad with every cop. We can't resolve anything that way. But if we, we'll take the time out to say, okay, what can we do? But hatred from either side is very bad, and you don't, revo- and you don't resolve anything that way. But I'm glad that the commander's there, hopefully, that through having, having this program and people looking at the picture for what it is, and I'm not trying to cover for my people, you're not trying to cover for yours, let's just deal with what's on the table. And if we do that enough, surely we'll see change at some point. I would think so. Uh and thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh and, and Pastor Banks, it's I just want to say it's really an honor to, to speak to you, especially on this very uh important subject that's near and dear to my heart. Uh I truly appreciate the work that you're doing for the community and your 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 outreach to law enforcement. I agree with everything you just talked about. And I had some thoughts, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to develop a training program that officers go through so that they can see the other side aftermath of a family who's lost someone in a officer involved shooting. Maybe that's you know, some kind of something that would be beneficial. I would be, I would love to contribute in any way to do that. Um, I, I want to know more about the Lex, Let's Talk program because uh, I, if there's anything that I can do to help, I, I want to do that. Cause I, I think that's rebuilding relationships, which is what we need. Here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. The community needs the police, but the police cannot survive or exist without the community. And I hope that other it's law enforcement leaders realize that.
2: It's so no, true. No, definitely so. Um, and, to, uh and Pastor Banks, thank you so much for your call. Commander, look, let's talk uh, partnered, uh, Colorado Springs Fellowship partner with a just cause in, in bringing those things together to happen for one purpose. Uh, the heart and the passion uh, of Pastor Rose of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church sitting down watching the chaos really explode in a very horrific way uh, with the death and the strangulation killing of Eric Gardner in New York City. Uh, And she said, I remember her making the statement that what can we do to make law enforcement believe and to know that we appreciate what they do? Uh, Look, I don't have to be a mathematician, mathematician to do the math on uh, 350 meals to uh, law enforcement for uh, the police department, the sheriff's department, and the act of love that was there that prompted uh, the chief of police, Kerry, to write a letter uh, to Colorado Springs Fellowship Church stating, look, thank you for thinking of our officers and for doing what you did to bring the community into a situation to talk. We say every all the time on this show, and that's why we're so honored to have you here, Commander. Look, uh, you're one of the good guys, and you're in leadership, which means what's going to come from under Commander Couch is good cops, is good officers. You can't have good leadership without good officers that follow. Uh, Our hope, and I think the point that Pastor Banks makes is clear, There's so many emotions, as you wanted to call this show the transparency show, because the lack thereof. That's why people are angry. So how do we get people unangry? You know what we do? We become transparent. We start having conversations. Let's talk with an opportunity for officers to become transparent to community people. The folks that go to work 8 to 5 every day, that they sit down with their remote control and turn on that news and see another person that died And say, but you know what? I remember, let's talk. I remember that chief came forward. I remember uh, that commander came forward. See, those other things, commander, that that Pastor Pastor Banks alludes to here, uh, which is so important. It just causes open to that. We've done that from day one. And that's why I was so honored to have you here, not only last week, this week, and the weeks to come, to say, look, this is somebody who's talking from the heart with passion that says, we need to change. And there's no question your sincerity is is authentic. So to that point, to Pastor Banks, uh, and that point is critically important. And we try to definitely emphasize that on this show. Listen, without law enforcement, you have what you – I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the movie The Purge. I know it's a movie, but I'll tell you what. A lot of people would be in a lot of trouble if we had something going like that. And for the service that you and your wife have given through the years and what you, your nonprofit organization – as I said last week, we're all on board for that. i are going to talk a little bit more about that on the other side of the break. I'd like to get into uh, some of the things happening initially in custody uh, with folks that, again, no transparency is there. But people are dying, getting accused of a crime, not even convicted. Just say, how oh, this guy did this, or this woman did this. And even down to traffic stops, DUIs, people are not leaving county Lockups outside of a body bag. We're going to deal with that, uh, Commander, and get your thoughts on that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Tonight's show, Transparency and the Lack Thereof in Law Enforcement. And we're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We have a big problem, and we
10: need your help.
9: It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters,
3: our wives,
9: and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop.
5: We
1: have
10: to stop it.
9: So listen up. If she doesn't consent,
10: or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault.
5: It's a crime. It's wrong.
10: If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, i speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her.
9: I'd help her because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution.
10: We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault.
3: And that starts with you, because one is too many. For
2: a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a Just Cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a Just Cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they
3: truly are our future. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's
1: full
3: of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lie.
9: I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company.
11: I can run a successful business.
9: I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience.
11: I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line.
6: I can help you to work place. I can be a loyal and productive employee.
11: But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talent and ability.
5: If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone.
11: If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works.
5: What can you do? What can you do?
11: What can you do?
5: You can remember that it works.
11: It's what people can do. It's
5: what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize
3: on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Please have a seat.
7: I'll be honest. The resume do not what I'm used to. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my
11: company? What do you need?
7: i need a hard worker
11: good i've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills
7: I need problem solving skills
11: i got through
13: high school without a car a phone or a computer
2: no college degree though
13: not yet but life's taught me a lot and i'm ready for
7: more well you're not the typical kind of candidate that i hire but you are exactly what i'm looking for <laughs>
3: Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at grads gradsoflife.org.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio Tonight, where the discussion has gotten very informative tonight. Uh, interesting conversation, dialogue that has to happen. Uh, we're grateful for caller Pastor Rose Banks called in earlier, uh, Commander. Uh, Listen, uh, a woman of uh, true uh, aspirations of really wanting to institute change in a environment, in a society that has somehow fallen off the rails. Uh, her thoughts definitely noted in this show uh, li- about talking. Let's let's. Sometimes you got to set down the emotion. It doesn't take away from the pain, the hurt community to to what Pastor Banks said and you made a good point. You said I would like to do something where officers had the opportunity to go into the front lines of families whose lost loved ones as a result of a law of a of a law enforcement shooting, a police shooting, uh, to see the the pain, the horror, the terror really of what these families are going through is absolutely excellent. I think that is, that man, that to me, that puts you, look, this ceases to be just a, a uh, statement or a shooting that is general. Now I'm in the home of the family. I'm seeing the grief, I'm seeing the pain. You begin to understand why people are angry because guess what? My loved one isn't coming home ever again and I think officers putting themselves in that situation uh, has to somehow turn the tide in this conversation. Your thoughts, Commander?
4: Yeah, the only, the only thing that I worry about is, you know, for every good thing you try to do, it seems like there's always some kind of bad aspect to it. Sure. That's just natural. I would never want to take away um, any – well, I, I, let me rephrase that. I would never want to force – an officer to hesitate at the moment where deadly force is uh, authorized because that, that I don't want anybody to get killed, uh, including the police officer. There's, so that's why it's important to design this program to where it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's very safe and and everything's laid out on the table and you really need the right, you need to pick the right people to be in the room when that's done. Sure. Uh, I mean, every police officer should go through that. Uh, but not every family is ready to deal with that, sure. and I wouldn't want to force somebody into that. But sure, I, that's absolutely something that that I—that's I, a great idea. I I, I love it, and I, I want to do it.
2: Well, it's a matter of putting the pieces together, putting the balance together, and making it come to a point, at least with that's doable uh, for both people to try to see. And everything has fine tuning that's going to have to go and in, go into place with that. So, but the idea itself, perhaps it's kind of like a an officer or ju- you know we had a judge that. Uh, that went into county jail with a guy that had served time in, in the Middle East, and uh, he had to spend a, a, a night or two, I think a little bit of time in county. And the judge came down and said, look, I'm going to stay tonight and have dinner with him uh, in the jail cell uh, to get a feel of what he was going to go through. Kind of the same concept, I believe, but just with a different uh, different law enforcement, of course. That's
4: fantastic. I mean, it is. It, 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 <laughs> you are a more balanced human being, sure. just more balanced professional when you can experience both sides. Absolutely.
6: So I think your point is right. well. David. Well, I think uh, the important thing is they always do after-action reports uh, in the military after after they go go on a particular mission. So they get together and do an after-action report. I think uh, one of the things that would be productive even for officers, you have to really think. This is. The human cost of this, just imagine, and I thought about this during people who, some of the just ridiculous people who were trying to justify Derek Chauvin. Now, put your family underneath the neck. I'm underneath the knee of Derek Chauvin, and you watch this play out on video. You're not telling me you're not going to be outraged if that officer was on your family member's neck for that long. So when, when you're able to put yourself in that person's position or, or put your child or put your mother there, can you imagine how you would feel if your mother or your wife or your child's life was gone? But If you're able to flip yourself, in, it doesn't matter, everybody uh, is not uh, foreign to the feeling of losing somebody in most cases, but in that way. Even in that way, but the loss of a person, whether they die of a disease or in a car wreck, that loss is real. And then when you compound it with the fact that it was unnecessary, did did this really have to happen? Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm talking about. So if officers even on an after action type of deal can say, look, somebody lost a life here uh, and we need to be, you should be concerned that if, at all costs that your use of force is justified because a life was lost, or even in many, in many cases, if somebody went to prison. That's, that's no small thing. You do something, I don't care if it's a prosecutor or a judge as well, you're getting ready to take somebody's liberty from them. And you really need to be a little more considerate about the decisions you make all the way around the board in the criminal justice system. So you can have some uh, some empathy for what's actually going on uh, and and be able to justify your actions accordingly. No, without question. And and, and this is what I said uh, in
2: a conversation uh, with someone that uh, I go a step further uh, than what David goes to. The fact that someone has died. But the mental image for me, I, I say if I put hypothetically my mom, my brother, my sister, begging for their life, which to me, which makes it so much more horrific. The image of that is is, is eternal. As long as you live, right. the image of that person dying in that way, different from somebody passing away in their sleep. This is a person who is suffocating to death and begging for his life, someone that you love and care about, and you are helpless to help him. So how many days did somebody on social media have the nerve to come out and say, you know, George Floyd's family, man, they got $27 million. So. I'm, I'm looking at this guy like, are you are you an idiot of some kind? Because it doesn't make any sense. You can give me $27 million. When I go to bed at night, I see my brother begging for his life under somebody's knee. In the story. But that's a person that doesn't have a clue of what's happened. And that's just, to me, is, is completely horrific in, in, the, in that fact. Uh, really quick, I want to get a shout out to Monica Aguilera, uh, a listener of our show. Uh, they've, know, they've come across her on social media. Uh, she's been tuned in faithfully every week. And to all of our listeners around the country uh, who tune into this show, we want to give a very special thank you. But Sometimes the, these are people out here pushing the narrative of a just cause in AJC Radio in a very big way. Uh, Monica Aguilar is one of those people. We thank you so very much for your uh, continued support of AJC Radio and a just cause organization. In having these conversations, you got to have them, and uh, we're going to deal with that. Uh, and and David, to the point of, he said after. Action report. after action reporting type of training. Yeah, Dennis. Dennis
6: can speak to those from the military. Go
2: ahead, Dennis. Well, how does that yeah. work? and I was just going to mention that too. Uh, we, we we call it also lessons learned. We learn from our lessons, uh, whether they were good or whether they were bad, and we take these lessons and we expound on them and we figure out how we could either uh, do them better or, or in this instance, not do it again and and if we do that with our upcoming our, our new recruits that are coming into you know the, the you know want to be a law law enforcement officer and videos i mean what we saw what the world sees, something like that with george george floyd we need to continue to push that that should be part of our you know as we bring in this is what we will not do or we will not tolerate and once we put that out there to our new, you know, new recruits, or you know, when we go to JRTC, NTC,
11: or real world,
2: uh, you will not do this. Why? Because we we we've learned that it doesn't work. So that's what after actions uh, reviews are, and again, lessons learned. I'm sure uh, police forces, uh, law enforcement has that. But if we get, if we take down the lessons learned, if we do the after action, we have to share it. You know what I'm saying? It, it can't just be leader leadership. We got it's got to go all the way down. We have to share what we learned, the lessons that we learn.
4: yeah, that's that's a great point, and and that goes hand in hand with 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 ethics and police leadership. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement leaders play such a significant role in determining the ethical orientation of their agency, their officers, and competent leaders. Acknowledge ethics as a key component of an agency's culture in, in which officers behave ethically and respect the rights of others. So those leaders who are blatantly have none, those are the people that we need to either fix or get out. And that, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and earlier, um, David mentioned something about uh, – Uh, Can can you say that you made a mistake? I don't under, I don't. uh, Well, there are some factors involved with like you know some attorneys for police departments. They say don't say anything. So we're always fighting against that because they're trying to make their job part of my uh, response to something, and that's that will never happen. You have to have that line there. Look, I've got to get something out. I understand it may make your case more difficult for you, but that's not my problem. You know. I don't work for you. I work for these people out here. Um, And and to the George Floyd point, um, you know, yeah, I heard him say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I will tell you that there's a lot of officers who have a misconception about why people say that and misconstrue it. Well, if you can talk, you're breathing. That is absolutely the wrong way to look at that. That's absolutely ridiculous. What it indicates should be an immediate red flag that they're having difficulty breathing because to a person that's experiencing that, that's, that's all you can say. You're not going to say, will you please remove your neck because it's blocking my air?" They're going to say basic things that comes from the very core part of their brain in a survival mode that needs to be implemented into training too, and not looked at so cynically.
2: No, absolutely right. I mean, the video clearly, uh, shown, that this man could not breathe, and the other things that we have looked at on the show, uh, regards to people who are suffering uh, a type of uh, struggle uh, of oxygen to breathe. To uh, and it's clear, you got Eric Garner had I don't know how many officers slamming him to the ground. Uh, at the same time, you're choking this guy selling cigarettes in New York City. That's all he's doing. On a corner, probably trying to put some food on the table. You wrestle this guy down? Oh, he's big. He's fine. You know, he's a big guy. He's all right. Don't worry about it. And what happens if you let him go? Just think about it. I mean, what 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 happens happens if the police, uh, if the, the law enforcement did not get involved? What happens? Nothing. Uh, individual got away with a, uh, selling a pack of cigarettes. You know what I'm just saying? I'm saying even if he didn't get a ticket, what, what, what where, what did we lose here? Nothing. That that's the point, point. and that's why I think, again the transparency, the transparency of the Eric Gardner killing is simple. It's one thing. We killed a man without call. Transparency means openness and honesty. We killed a man selling cigarettes on a corner, not in Iowa. He's in New York City. I've been there once. There's every type of hustle that you can imagine going on in the streets of New York City. This is all he did. He said, we gave him a warning before to stop selling cigarettes. How was he an intimate threat to society?
6: Or to police officers. Or to
2: police officers. Somebody was buying cigarettes from him. This is why, Commander,
6: uh, people are angry. Well, and also, (laughs) there's one more thing. I see the narrative playing out. Well, he was, he should have just complied with police. Well, police wouldn't be in business if everybody complied. The bottom line is they have to deal with these difficult situations because people who are breaking the law don't comply with the law. So when the police show up, if there's a chance a person's not going to comply. That's who some of these people are. They're out here not complying with the law. So police show up, what makes police say they were compliant? So they, people, they should sure comply. That doesn't mean he should be dead, because he didn't comply uh, for selling cigarettes. Now, if he did something to threaten police or to do something along those lines, and they had to use force, uh, proportional force, which was a big thing in the George Floyd case, they use a disproportionate amount of force, and if they have to, well, just quit resisting, quit complying. These are difficult things police have to deal with, and they have to deal with it uh, in a way that a person selling loose cigarettes doesn't end up dead for not complying unless he actually tries to attack an officer. Uh, Commander Cowell?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think I think what I see from, from my perspective, David, and I totally agree with your sentiment. What I see as a common denominator in both of those cases that you just mentioned is a misapplication of an otherwise non lethal uh, uh, use level of force. It was, you know, you don't cut off somebody's airway. Uh, there are other things that you should be doing unless you feel cutting off somebody's airway is deadly force. There's no question about it. And deadly force was obviously not authorized in the uh george floyd case i don't have all the details or what the officers had in their minds at the time of the other eric garnett case but both the common denominator denominator in both of those it seemed like was uh, a misapplication of a use of force is that a training issue is that was that intentional i hope it was the former i'm disgusted if it was the latter
2: oh for sure we're going to take a couple of calls uh right now uh for the commander Cliff, go ahead.
12: We have uh, Wayne, who has a question for the commander about tonight's show. Wayne, thank you for the call. You're live.
9: Uh, Thank you. Um, Really enjoying the show and what the uh, commander has to say. I think it's uh, great to see that. Uh, My question uh, for the commander is what what kind of transparency uh, is in place in uh, Teller County? And, you know, if you could talk about that a little bit.
4: Absolutely. Thanks for that question, Wayne. When I came back as a operations commander and the sheriff that I worked for, Jason Mikesell, he offered me that position because I had worked there before, and, and apparently he thought I did a good job. I had to leave because the other sheriff was corrupt, and I, so I left. Uh, when I came back, I said, okay, before I come back, I had a legal-sized notepad, and it I filled every line with my positions on key issues – And I sat down and we talked about it. And one of my key issues that he agreed with and would and does support is transparency in law enforcement. So what we did is since I used to work in the media for a couple of years, two or three years, um, I kind of know how that I know I know how the media works. And a lot of law enforcement think that. Local media is an enemy, and, and that's why they have a poor relationship with, with these people. These people that work in media, they have a job to do. Yeah, it's competitive. Yeah, they're going to base their, their stories on ratings because that's how they survive. That's how they pay their bills. Well, I knew that uh, local media is tied to the community. They have an investment in the community, and 99% of them are, are unbiased, and they're actually journalists. Okay? They're not hypers. They don't go out and try to persuade people. That's not the job of a journalist. A journalist is to give you facts and you decide, right? So I said, this is what I want to do. I want to have you and I go meet with every news director in Colorado Springs because they serve the southern half of the state. And I want, I want us to take a position that is leaning forward into giving information when we can give it rather than – them having to beg for it or not giving any information at all. So call any station, ask them who they prefer to work with as a public information officer in this region. And my name will be mentioned in there at least, at least one time I've gotten emails from anchors. Uh, KRDO is a great station we work with. We work with all of them, but we've developed these relationships whereby I can say Look, I'm going to give you this, but off the record, I can talk about this right now, but I would like you to hold that until we can notify the family or, or some something like that. And I have never had anybody double-cross me down here. And, and, and that is built on trust. J- Sheriff Beisel totally agrees with that. He goes out and talks to the media every time I ask him to do so. And they call us when they get stuck on a story and need someone in law enforcement to talk, because a lot of leaders down here won't do it. So um, that's, that's what we have instilled. We, we stood up a social media page, we're on social media. We do not delete comments that we disagree with. That's not right, that's not legal. Um, we have a tw- I have a Twitter account, it's at um, I try to do, I try to release, you know, fun type information or educational information just as much as I do on any kind of crimes that we're working because the public's interested in what we do. We're just, a lot of us are just closed off to that. And I I disagree with that. So we have a website as well, kellercountysheriff.com. We put all of our press releases on there. We put mugshots on there um, and, you know, protect people's rights and the fact that, you know, not everybody's guilty until they're proven innocent in court. So I just got I teach PIO classes as well, so I taught some to my internal folks, and we've got somebody doing Instagram, we've got another Facebook page for our animal control, and that is our position. Be transparent as soon and as uh, as soon as possible and as much as
2: you can. Well, good point, Commander. And look, uh, I, I think we're headed in the right direction. Uh, all we can do is continue to do what we can. Uh, and to speak out, but the conversation has to start. I think we're making good progress with that. Uh, here in the last couple of weeks, with Commander Couch, we have another caller, Cliff. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. We have uh,
12: Michelle. She has a comment about tonight's show. Michelle, thanks for calling in. You're live.
11: Thank you. I, I'm enjoying the show. Um, I remember there was an open letter. Uh, I believe 14 officers of the Minneapolis Police Department wrote an open letter about it was wrong with uh, the the cops did in murdering George Floyd. And I thought that's a good thing, but to me, it's not enough. What I never seem to see very often is the leadership in police and the sheriff's department get rid of these bad police officers. could cast a shadow on every one of them. I know there seemed to be a lot of stress within the departments when all of this occurred and how people, the public was responding. And to me, if they would take a stand and deal with these cops before they start killing people, then we could, we would trust the police department more. We would trust the sheriff's office more when we get pulled over or something happens. And I think that's very troubling to me that I don't see enough leadership taking a stand in you know, cases like Mr. Floyd's murder um, happens and people are dying every day. So I'd be curious to know from your perspective the effects that it has on you guys and what leadership can maybe do. Thank you.
4: So that's a great that's a great point. I have had that in my mind for quite a while, and that's why I'm so passionate about this. That I don't see leadership in police, in general, holding their officers accountable. Why they don't do that? uh, Some of it involves like um, the rights of an employee. Some of it involves unions. You know, those are some kind of those are rules to me. Those are. Those are rules to me to go by. They're not roadblocks. Um, the most important thing is that if you realize, and you should be tracking your officers' behaviors, like if I, I heard uh, anecdotally that uh, Derek Chauvin had a numerous amount of uh, use of force complaints, that is a red flag. We should never have been in this situation. If there's over like 10 or 15, if you see patterns, Deal with it. I mean, would you want this officer dealing with your family member if they? I don't. I mean, some action needs to be taken. You're exactly right, Michelle. And you know, I don't know exactly what the solution is to that. I'm trying to do something a little different. Where we, um, what we're going to do with the nonprofit is more than likely get get uh, information and tips. Anonymous tips from officers in those agencies who see it, but the leadership won't do anything about it. And then we're going to go and we're going to do whatever we can to uh, plug into the community and say – with with public uh, access to records and say, look, do you see this as an issue? Because we do. We're in law enforcement. We don't appreciate it, and that's not who we want to be
2: tied to. No, without question. Uh, look, we can talk – and communicate and have the dialogue all day. Uh, I think it starts uh, with what Commander Couch has alluded to from day one on the show. Uh, As leadership, that's where the standard is set. If the standard is set at leadership, at the level of leadership, it will trickle down in every part of the police department across this country. And it's about, like you said, Commander, leaders have to not, well, let me think about it. Let me see if I want to go a different route. There is no other option on the table. And uh Commander Couch's position is one that should be modeled after, that we are going to stand for what's right. I'm going to tell you what, you do that from the top, you feel less body bags, and you have a community that can trust
6: law enforcement across the board. Well, go ahead, David. Well, there's another point. Now, What, what we see is they'll say, Well, let the process just take care of it. So uh, police chiefs and other brass leadership will just say, well, they'll have their day in court. If you got a question, I'm sorry, the process is sometimes it's not so much police, it's the process that people have to go through. And then the process is not guaranteed to, to actually get justice. So many times you mentioned earlier to nip something in the bud or that was cliff. Somebody said, nip it in the bud. Well, you can stop even a lot of these things by nipping it in the bud. If leadership acts quickly and doesn't uh, completely just put people through the paces in their lives, well, unnecessarily, you could have done something to stop this. If that had done something, given the complaints against George Floyd, George Floyd, I mean, I'm against Derek Chauvin, George Floyd probably wouldn't be be here today. But they continue to let this stuff go on and go on when you have an opportunity to say, okay, even the appearance of impropriety, uh, we need to look into this and do something about this. This officer, uh appears there appears to be a problem here. Let's try to get take care of this before it. I don't care, before it gets into the courts, before something, do something about it. And you eliminate, uh, you nip, nip that in there, but you also eliminate burdens on the system because nobody wants their lives to be completely disrupted by going through a process they should never have to go through.
2: Oh, absolutely right. And I think, uh, again, it goes back to leadership at the top. Uh, Commander Couch makes the point. The red flags were everywhere. You did nothing. So at the end of the day, chief, uh, commander of that police department, you're complicit. There's a reason why there's a paper trail of information that's documented about the conduct of officers. Just like you got a paper trail for the medals of honor and those officers that do their job, they're humanitarians really out there on those streets and protecting lives as it should be. You can't ignore the bad. Say, we're not going to worry about it. You better worry about that even more because lives are affected and lives can be taken as a result of that. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're going to come back uh, and deal with probably through the last segment or so. Uh, Folks dying in police custody, um, county jails, no transparency, but you're going to hear some very troubling audio of folks accused of a crime, not convicted, dying in county jails across this country. We're going to get the commander's thoughts on that on the other side of the break. This is ABC Radio.
3: How often does our justice system get it wrong? convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit. 873 defendants exonerated. Nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
9: The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. 10 years later, the drug war had grown and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people the growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs. Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
2: Welcome back to agency Radio tonight as we have had the opportunity I'll tell you what folks, conversation is necessary as we face what I call the coming, not only the coming but the existing tsunami uh, in law enforcement, in transparency and trust across the board. Uh, we have seen a few things that are necessary, uh, but the conversation. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you see a hurricane coming, there's what they call forecasters speaking to the problem, telling you to prepare, to do what needs to be done. Tonight, I see that as the conversation that we've had here tonight, uh, not only of a coming storm, but an existing hurricane in movement right now, and that is a problem uh, facing law enforcement all over the United States, Uh, but I am optimistic. Uh, That if we can have these conversations, and to Commander Couch, um, let me say this to you, that during the course of your time here, uh, it has given me renewed hope uh, that leadership is looking to to take some positions, and it is refreshing to hear you, your perspective, and the no-nonsense attitude of really integrity that you have, let me tell you, uh a j c radio just calls our hats off to you we we respect what you do, what your vision is uh and I'll tell you what we're on board with that vision, so please know that
4: i you know i I really appreciate it. that means the world to me um I hope to you know get more folks in here and, and talk about that because I know there's tons of them out there in law enforcement, their voice is not being heard, they're not engaging in the conversation and uh it's just, thank you for the opportunity, and it was just a blessing to be connected with you in such a kind of a uh, weird way over Twitter, but sure. I'm glad I'm here. It all worked out, so it's great.
2: No, no no worries, and uh, I wanted to talk really brief. We got a couple of callers. Uh, Cliff, I believe we have Kia.
12: Yeah, we have a few callers before we bring Kia on the line. Uh Commander uh, Pastor Banks, who called in earlier, said that she uh, sent a message in to say it on her behalf. She was... Uh, like to tell you how much she appreciates you for uh, your kindness, genuineness, and for being very outspoken on tonight's topic. She really appreciates all that you're doing to bridge the gap between law enforcement and our communities. That comes from Pastor Rose Banks, straight to your ear.
4: That's thank you so much. That means a
12: lot. Excellent, excellent. Now we have Kia. Kia, thank you for calling in. Say you have a comment about tonight's topic. You are live.
11: I do. I've been listening to the show, and it's been really interesting and refreshing to hear him um, show how police should take accountability and responsibility for their actions for uh, the communities that they serve in. Um, Earlier, I heard him talking about body cameras, and I wanted to ask him a question about um, how some of the times we have that footage that shows what happens, and sometimes it's just a snippet um, that gives us just a, a a quick glimpse of what happened but when we see that there's footage that they turned it off late where they showed up on scene and they didn't have that on or they cut it off early is there any um, repercussions to those officers for doing things like that um, even when it's not major incidences so that when we do have these shootings and things like that um, they're possibly more prepared and have that on and are able to show that transparency. Uh, yeah
4: that that's a good question because that, that's an educational question or a, an educational point that I would like to talk about and that is um the the editing of video or the uh taking out of certain clips that are unfavorable to either side is not that's not ethical um because You've, you've seen politicians in this country, and you've seen you've seen other people who were exposed on video, uh, um, claiming that the, the news media has selectively edited something. Well, things. Ca- I'm a photographer. I work for a, three different news stations, and I know that you can selectively edit things to get away from the actual context and the facts of of something. So. If you're going to release the video, you do it in the way the clip described earlier, you do it the way uh, the other gentleman described it earlier, and you, you do it in a process, but you do it 100%. That way, because you can't do that in court, there, there's rules in court where you can't just selectively play something without context. There's a lot of context loss when you do that. So people should be given the information and they should make their own decisions. And I think some of the some of the issue with the video, and this is no defense, it will paint a jury pool in some cases. Um, and you want everybody, no matter who it is, civilian or law enforcement, to have a fair trial. I believe in that to to the core of my body. Um, but just real quick to digress to David's point earlier before the break, he uh, talked about you know let's let the process play out. Well, the process has to be completely transparent. Do we have people using the process that we're using right now in this country who are innocent and in prison? Absolutely we do. So that tells you right there, why don't we learn these lessons and and just do this the right way? I think – and I have a thought on this. If you'll just bear with me for a second. I think that law enforcement is hesitant to do that because they have been completely bashed on um, other videos that's been released early on when body cams first came out. Where you have people who get really incensed by any kind of police uh, action they just they don't like the police and then they they uh, they there's more facts involved that maybe are not on the video and i think that's kind of how law enforcement developed this reticence to, to to do or cooperate with any kind of video release but as long as we all understand that and we can get folks to understand that in like I said earlier, in most cases, you watch a video and it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty apparent what has gone wrong there, and some of it can be explained legitimately, some of it cannot. Uh, so you know we really need to be more engaged in that process, and and I I do agree that you release everything, and there is a state law now. If you didn't know this in, in Colorado. 100% of the video need, will be released within 72 hours, 48, I think, 48 hours to the family, and then 72 hours, no later than to the public.
2: Okay. All right. And we're going to get into some more of that. We've got two callers, Clip. We're going to play a clip first. Uh, I want to get the commander's viewpoint on that, and then we're going to hear from uh, Nina and Yolanda as well. Uh, so hang tight, uh, folks, on the call uh, for the commander. Um, let's play the clip. This is a, what we talked about earlier. Regarding deaths in county jails, no transparency, but this, what you will hear now, um, is horrific and very troubling. Let's play it. To hear, Commander, um, ask what the inmate's name was, Officer. His name is Michael Sandy. Since you didn't remember the man that you caused to die in your prison, in your jail cell, uh, I had the opportunity to look at the video of this. begin to say the same thing that George Floyd said. It wasn't a cop. It was, a, it was someone in county detention. And he said, please. I saw the man. He was a larger man. Did absolutely nothing to be treated that way. He gets in the shower. He begins to tell and to a Apologize to the officers that I'm sorry. Not because he did anything. He was scared to death. Literally. Later in the clip, he goes back to his cell. They throw him in there. He's sitting on the floor where well, he later died. Alone, without any help, without any medical care. The fact that he became Couldn't breathe, couldn't have any oxygen, period. They left him to die. Commander, give me your thoughts, please.
4: You know, the fact that somebody could die in a jail cell without their family, without their personal belongings, without their, you know, being in their own home at the hands of another, that was not justified, is probably one of the most saddest things that I could hear, and you know that that kind of stuff happens in third world countries. You know that should not be happening in this country. Uh, detentions deputies are really caretakers. They should they are caretakers. They should see their role as a caretaker of another adult human being who has rights and desires and loved ones and just as much of a right to live without something like this happening to them as is any of us we you know in detentions we feed them we clothe them we provide shelter for them we ensure their safety but most of all we should be treating them like human beings and that does not happen sometimes for whatever reason, and that, of course, that's going to change their perspective on law enforcement because they're going to group us all together. And I understand that law enforcement doesn't need that. We don't, we don't need folks like that to be having authority over the livelihoods of other people. Um, fortunately, our jail in Teller County is run by some very compassionate and good people they're kind of like uh, the flat-top sergeants that, that we talked about earlier. They give them just as much respect as they get, and that's how I, I've always operated. Um, and they, for the most part, keep themselves in line. We, we have very few incidents of disturbances, and a lot of our former detainees have actually thanked They'll see them at Walmart or something. We're a small community. So, you know, it's not uncommon that you'd run into somebody grocery shopping with your family that you've had to arrest or you've had to detain. So, you need to understand that you might run into them again. Do you want them to hate you or, you know, or do you want to have a different relationship with that person? Because a lot of people who commit crimes, they're doing it for different reasons. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be held accountable because I believe that, you know. But treat people with dignity and, and respect as a human, another human being on this planet. Yep. That's just the easiest thing to do in theory, and to me, it just comes as a no-brainer. But you know,
2: well, I think that's why we said earlier uh, the model uh, Commander Couch and in, in your heart uh, is absolutely uh, needs to be admired needs to be respected. Uh, All we can do is hope for others to have your same vision, the same passion, the same heart. And your first words to us on this show a week ago was that you have to have law enforcement that has a heart. You don't have a heart. What we just heard becomes common practice. I've heard that clip over and over and over again and the response is exactly the same this man begging for his life I I you, you try to catch up with where did this country lose their way what happened here how did we lose our way um but most importantly, how do we find our way back? we got to find our way back. Human decency, is, as the commander alludes to here, yes, respect. You treated that man with respect. You would have got him help if he couldn't breathe. Hey, let me call somebody real quick. This man is laboring to breathe. Get somebody down here now. That's decency. That's respect. And he wasn't doing anything. He, he wasn't... Swinging at an officer, he was in the shower.
3: But how do you respect someone that you
2: consider an offender? You see, 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 terminology. You know how how you view these these uh, the, the prisoners or those under your control. If you give them a title, offender. That's that's not a good title. That that that's no that's nobody. So. To, to, you're not going to get respect if you're calling somebody offend, an offender. If, if somebody called me that right now, I'd be like, what are you talking about? But that's that's the mentality. And if it's like that, I'm telling you, there, there's no regard. There's no compassion. There's no compassion for an offender. Well, but- not going to happen. You got to change the dialogue and we got to stop using these titles. First of all, like you, you on numerous occasions you said, a lot of these people have not even been sentenced yet. Well, they've been convicted. They haven't been convicted. They've simply been accused of accused a crime. of a crime, but but you already titled me as an offender. What if I was found not guilty? True. I
6: well, mean, we just got to be real. And on top of that, I think passes. you you have to look broadly at the system. And the stigma even that a felony brings and see how they treat people in this country even after they pay their debts to society. These people still struggle to find work, find a place to live, no uh, but yet we say in this country Americans are such a forgiving country. Let's stop with all the lies and start forgiving where the, the where the proof is in the pudding. You can't. You, there, there are people in this country that feel like a felon shouldn't even be able to vote for the rest of his life. What well, they, type of stuff is that? That so, some of the stigma and some of these laws had been so bad, even in Colorado, I think it was at one point, or some uh, some of these states, you couldn't even get a barber license if you had a felony ever, ever. So until they started changing all of these stigmas, some some of these countries. Some of these licensing organizations in the state, or well, you're a felon, you can't get a you can't get a, a barber's license, or you can't get this license or that license. So how's a person supposed to live after the fact that you claim they paid their debt to society perpetually punished until the until the well, end of
2: time? I use this analogy all business. the time. I use this all the time. I got a JCPenney uh, retail store credit card. I go and I charge up, say, fifteen hundred dollars on my card. Right. Once I pay that bill, when I walk back into JCPenney with another $1,500 of merchandise, nobody at the counter is going to tell me, oh, Mr. Banks, we see that you owed $1,500 uh, uh, uh 3 months ago. Why is that? It's been paid. The debt is paid. I will never – That nobody will ever mention that to me. They'll say, Mr. Banks, thank you for your purchase. Goodbye. They're not going to tell me what I owed up three months ago. I'm current. Inmates are current when you get out. Why am I still being reminded of a debt that has been paid? Commander, give me your thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, that's a very, that's a deep subject and something I haven't thought quite a bit about, but here's my initial thoughts is, We need to figure out a way to have a balanced approach to when is a debt considered paid by a person who's been convicted and sentenced of a crime? When do they get certain rights back? And I think that's going to have to be done on a case-by-case basis because everybody's different, and and some people have remorse, and they are doing good things now, and it's changed their lives, and some people don't. I just – it would be complicated, but I – I believe that there's something there that can be changed for the better, there's some reform there. I do, I, I truly do. Um, but you, Mr. French, you asked a couple times during the show, what what can we do? What what can the community do? And I have I have some thoughts on that, and, and I think we're doing that now. I think you, the communities can engage law enforcement more in a calm manner on both sides, act like adults, get to the same table, share a meal and talk about, it's it's talking, communication, communication, communication. Here's what law enforcement can do. We can start showing and proving that we are consistent and we are going to be holding people who are outside the reservation accountable. Once we do that, there's going to be a reduction in, in nonsense in law enforcement going on with these individual officers. And another thing is better training to see red flags and take action on those. Because and as far as like calling somebody an offender or whatever, words matter. I understand that. I agree with that, and we we can do better there too.
2: Thank you, Commander. Let me say really quick: we're we're against the clock again. I'm sure, uh, Commander. State looks felt like we've been on for 20 minutes. It's been two hours. <laughs> again, the door is open, Commander, to come back. We'll keep this conversation going as long as you want to keep it. Uh, Love to. That, that's up to you. We look forward to seeing you back. Ladies and gentlemen, very special thanks to Commander Couch and his expertise on this issue, but his heart and his passion to institute change. To Pastor Banks calling in and all of our callers having something to say. A very special thank you from HSE Radio it just calls. Tune time, America. We'll see you. Good night.